Welcome to the ESPR podcast Inside Conflict with Moritz Ehrmann. So welcome again to our uh, ACP podcast on South Sudan and Uganda and cross-border uh, dynamics. I'm here again uh, with uh, Mrs. Rose uh, Osieno, Mr. Edmond Yakani and Dr. Jan Pospisil. Um, just to briefly remind uh, Mrs. Rose Othieno is the Executive Director uh, of SECOR, the Center for Conflict uh, Resolution based in Kampala, Uganda. Um, Mr. Edmond Yakani is the Executive Director of uh, SEPO, the Community Empowerment for Peace organization uh, based in the capital of South Sudan, Juba. And uh, of course, uh, Dr. Jan Pospisil, Uh, is associate professor at the University of uh, Coventry, um, and he's also a member of the advisory board of the ACP. So in the last two uh, episodes, we had the pleasure of, of discussing dynamics, conflict dynamics uh, uh, related to South Sudan, uh, Uganda, and across the border, including uh, regional dynamics. We had a look at historic perspectives of, uh, of such conflict dynamics, And uh, we also looked at the nature of uh, the state and the nature of conflicts uh, in these two countries and cross-border today. So what I want to do uh, now in this session is uh, get a better uh, grasp of, of your perspective as uh, of, of peace builders. So in a sense, uh, from your perspective, uh, what can be done uh, and what needs to be done in relation to the to the challenges that uh, lie ahead of us uh, today. And the first um, very concrete uh, questions I, I want to ask, uh, and I do ask all of you to, to, to give an input on that if you if you like, um, would be so uh, who are the main uh, peace builders uh, in the setting uh, of South Sudan, uh, Uganda, across uh, the border? Um, and the particular uh, special question related to that, um, what do you see the role uh, of women as peace builders and role models in, in their communities and, and in the larger picture? So who would like to, who would like to go ahead? Well, uh, talking about main peace builders might be a difficult part for me to expound on, but maybe to simply mention the various peace builders. Uh, first of all, we have the governments themselves doing all that is possible to work on issues around the conflicts so as to bring peace. The national governments are doing all they can. The, the regional communities, the IGA, the EAC are doing all they can to ensure that peace uh, prevails in, the, in these countries. We also have international players, uh, the UN and the various agencies. We have the international uh, NGOs that operate in this uh, region. And uh, given that uh, the countries we are talking about have either gone through wars or they are still going through wars, we have lots of international humanitarian actors as well as peace builders in place. But above all, over the decades, the locals have 
founded lots of organizations working on peace building, two of who are already here speaking. These people play a very, very vital role in peace building. Of course, uh, the, the, the amount of work and the nature of the work is very different maybe from what government can do. But because uh, civil society and NGOs come from the people, live with the people, uh, closer to the people, sometimes they reach these communities even more deeply than uh, the governments do. But of course, uh, being limited uh, with the scope uh, geographically and also financially, but doing everything possible that they can do. And then that brings me to the role of women in peace building. It had always been said over time that uh, uh, women are victims of, uh, of violence or war or conflict. Mm. But we've also learned that uh, they can also be perpetrators. Mm. And yet at the same time, the impact, whether they are, some have been perpetrators or not, the impact has always been stronger on the women and the children, as can be confirmed from any refugee flow that you can you know, click anywhere mm. in the world and see, you will basically see more women and children moving, carrying luggages, like in the case of our communities where they are not like, uh, in the case of, I remember Ukraine, they were waiting for trains and water. In our case, it's mm. not the same. You see women and children carrying mattresses on their heads, a little bit of food stuff, utensils, pulling the animals, maybe for food. You see more women among the, the refugee communities and the IDPs and fighting uh, to, to, to keep life. And there are reasons for this. One is that in most cases, more of the, the male are in fighting. But also because, I would say in the past or even currently, more often the men are targets. So they are most likely in hiding. So the women will go out, there or out of their way to try and save lives their lives of the com the rest of the communities and the children, but mm -hmm. yet they have been, been more impacted, the women, children, and especially the elderly and the, dis uh, the disabled. Mm -hmm. So the CSOs have been trying to play the role they can, but as I said, we can only do a little. We are limited with the scope and the finances. We are not as, as huge as governments and maybe some international NGOs. That's my take for now. Mm -hmm. Thanks very much. This was a very comprehensive uh, answer to my question. Um, and, and thanks also for, for going into quite a lot of interesting detail on the, on the dynamic between uh, uh, male and, uh, uh, and female uh, roles in this, in this conflict setup. And this important uh, role that, that, that comes to uh, women in, in such a setup when the men are for one reason or another simply consumed uh, by the conflict dynamics. Um, Edmund and, uh, and Jan, uh, would you have anything to add also with regards perhaps to the uh, effectiveness of, uh, of some of these actors that uh, Rose listed? Uh, so sort of going from the international ones, uh, the local ones, also from a South Sudanese perspective. Um, yeah, perhaps Edmund, you want, you want to go first? Yeah, thank you. I think, um, uh, as I said, Ross have given a broader scope of the actors, similar actors in South Sudan. So I really speak much more to the effectiveness of these actors. The effectiveness is that the state uh, actors' role in 
making peace or in building peace in the communities normally is politically shaped. And this does not sustain uh, presence of peace and stability in the communities for long. Why? Because their engagement always, it have a political interest attached. And the moment that political interest is not met or that political interest is ignored, the chances of the conflict renewing is still mm -hmm. high simply because it's a political approach. But the effectiveness of the actors that you can call them civil society, and by civil society I refer to several actors that even bring in institutions like religious leaders, traditional chiefs, and then the traditional civil society like us, SEPO and others. Once we engage in peace building, our engagement sometimes sustains simply because we speak to the needs of the people and we respond to the needs of the people without any political motive attached mm -hmm. in our mediation. So, the non-state actors' role in peace building, both at international, regional, and national level, have a great impact, and they are more effective in mm -hmm. comparison to state actors. So mm -hmm. that's what I will add in terms of that, because in my life, I've mediated over 50 communal violence, and at least mm -hmm. I would say out of the 50, 30 have sustained, 20 are political undermined. So it tells you, but mm -hmm. we have this big political peace agreement that was uh, mediated by EGAD, we couldn't sustain it. After two years, we break again, we revitalize it. We couldn't implement the revitalization. We have to come with a roadmap. And it's still, as we speak by now, there's no guarantee that this peace agreement, which was mediated by EGAT, can really hold peace and stability in South Sudan. Still, communities are fighting. So, mm -hmm. the community or the non state actors' approach to peace building is much more effective and much more sustainable compared mm -hmm. to the state driven uh, processes for peace building. Thank you over there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thanks, Edmund. And I see you nodding, uh, Jan, uh, on the screen. Uh, would you like to expand on on, on this notion that uh, of effectiveness that plays much in, in favor of local actors who have a much more a sort of sustained uh, but also needs-driven uh, approach as opposed to perhaps national or international actors? Yes. Um, I mean, it's different roles um, different actors play. But in terms of, of peace mediation, there was, um, I mean, as Rose has also uh, showed, like a thrive-powered um, African actors, especially in African conflicts, and then also more towards local actors and supporting local actors in their peace-building efforts. Um, uh, there's still this protection component in, in, in peace-building, and here, of course, international actors come in. But effectiveness is, is a double-edged kind of thing. It's the one hand what you do and what you can achieve in terms of what you want to achieve. And it's also how you how you are perceived. And especially like in South Sudan, the UN here is in a, in a very difficult role with the UN mission. It's, it's becoming more and more unpopular in, 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 in the public perception. So if we would make, I suspect if we would make a, a kind of a poll at the moment and ask what people think about UNAMIS, the, the absolute majority of people would say they should just leave, um, which is kind of a substantial problem when you when you look in terms of effectiveness. So the perceived mm -hmm. effectiveness among the population of the UN um, intervention is very low. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying this is true um, because hardly anybody else has a chance to to provide the these protection components, especially with all the local conflicts in the country popping up and in various parts. Mm -hmm. um, but this has to be taken into account and the reputation of 
of traditional authorities, elders, but even local government in in in, in engaging in peacemaking is much higher. Mm-hmm. And since people have brought brought buy-in into these 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 efforts, it's also kind of more effective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, I agree. Of course, perception is is one part of the of the question. Uh, then again, of course, the perception affects reality. And and therefore again effects on on effectiveness. So yeah, let's have a deeper look into the, the national perspectives again. Um, and perhaps a question uh, to you, uh, Edmund. So, what in your uh, opinion would be needed to break this recurring cycle of violence in in South Sudan? And perhaps attached to this question, do you think uh, that there is still a potential for for a large scale? large-scale violent conflict in the near future. Yeah, thank you. For South Sudan, uh, the political approach to peace building through signing of agreements like the way we are witnessing right now, it actually contributed another factor in in conflict prevention. I don't know how can I term it, but I would say like the, 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 the negotiated peace agreement have decentralized conflict. So it have taken conflict out of a national level among the political elites level. It become more decentralized conflict within the communities and it have changed the equation of violence that usually violence is politically geared in terms of group of individuals will form a revolutionary movement and they will pursue objective, mainly the, the objective is to access power. But now in South Sudan, after attempt tries for political peace agreement, the scale of the violence have gone to communal now. It's becoming more ethnic uh, violence. As we speak now, we have over six pockets of ethnic violence across the country. And this is coming from our early warning system that we're managing in the country as an organization. So these six pockets of uh, ethnic violence, the decentralization of the politicians, the political elites, some of the political elites who have engaged in the peace process at national level have tend to zero themselves to go back to the communities and start fighting using tribal line within the communities that they are. And most of them are generals that are known from the, our armed forces, but now they have become militia leaders for their communities mm-hmm. and they're fighting. And as you speak now, over 60% of the country is facing this communal violence. So my answer to your question is that yes, still in South Sudan, we will expect a large scale subnational violence which are politically motivated. Usually police will call it intercommunal violence, but I think it's politically motivated, but it has been carried out at subnational level. So we're going to witness a lot of these crises. As I said, already we have seven active subnational violence that are on ethnic line. And if mm-hmm. you see the machinery they're using for fighting are really coming from the stores of the government. So there are modern weapons that were purchased by the government. And I'm involved in, in tracing use of arms and ammunitions by communities. Mm-hmm. And my indicator of tracing is that I come to realize that some of them are official purchased weapons by the government. So it found its way from the stores of the government to the subnational level. And that, and this is the indicator that qualifies the violence that are going subnational level is politically motivated and aided by the political elites mm-hmm. at, at, at mm-hmm. national level. And, 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 and now if I want to bring the international players into this context, international players are so limited. Why? Because Mediating such communal violence does not require the formal uh, proceedings of peace building or what do you call um, uh, a checklist that you can see you know, usually you need to negotiate around power sharing 
protocol around um, responsibility sharing or reforms in terms of institutions or policies. There, you this particular format can't work. Mm-hmm. That's a format where people are just hungry for power and control of a territorial. So this limits the international. And I think this, for me, raises the concern that I, I'd like to add to part of your question is that I think in the school of peace building right now, we need to start building coordination and, 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 and collaboration between the international norms for peace building and the traditional norms for peace building. So mm-hmm. partnership between local actors and international actors in building synergies and coordinating efforts for prevention of conflict, I think is now very important because sometimes mm-hmm. also local actors doesn't have enough capacity and capability of analysis of the context of the violence so that they can find a better solution. Mm-hmm. Because prescription or, or what do you call digesting the conflict at communal level, sometimes we're lacking expertise for that, but we have international expertise. So that's the element of coordination that international can come and help the national players to have the skills of how to really analyze conflict and move. Mm-hmm. So I think that's my answer to your question. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks a lot, Edmund. I mean, that, that was extremely concrete. I mean, uh, at the one hand, uh, yeah, answering to the question sort of where are the potentials for, for, for violence? And you you seem to have identified that quite quite clearly, uh, also the, the, the reasons for it. Um, and then, of, of course, this notion of uh, local international collaboration, I think, is, is one that is that is extremely important. And I think um, if we talk about our institutional uh, cooperation between uh, my and your institute, I think this is exactly what we're trying to do. So uh, I, I think I think it's a point that is that is slowly but surely is, uh, uh, recognized on on all sides of the of the spectrum. Um, uh, Rose, perhaps let us let's get uh, to the Ugandan context and ask a similar question. Uh, so what would be needed from, from your perspective, a large question, I know, um, to achieve uh, lasting stability without violence in, in, in Uganda? I, I would also like to start by saying that uh, a lot of the, the conflicts in our region, I think, are multifaceted. First of all, we have, uh, I would believe, economic decline and uh, I, I don't know who can explain this because we are talking of uh, very well endowed areas but uh, this could also go alongside governance and because of economic decline there are lots of uh, crimes taking place there are grudges for coming out of maybe unfulfilled expectations so people are taking uh, to doing uh, acts that 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 are not very very favorable for for the neighborhood and definitely for the nation. Uh, part of this is also aggravated by the fact that uh, we have large populations of youth, many of who are not employed. Many more are unemployable, or yeah, and that is in a quotation mark because I mean, uh, talking of an endowed area, there could be areas where maybe not much skill is needed, like in agriculture, but there isn't enough support, and now comes into play this whole climate change with very unfavorable weather. This morning I was talking about the change of weather, December being very rainy, that used not to be. 
And there, therefore, there, there, there is a lot that uh, brings uh, uh, dissatisfaction to the communities. So for me, the, the whole idea of empowering the communities, and that cannot solely be the, the role of uh, NGOs, because we can only do a little uh, in, the, in terms of peace building. But uh, I think governments have to make more determined efforts much as I know in Uganda, the government has tried to put in place economic programs to try and address this. But the unfortunate bit of it, as peace builders, we have always said these have not always been conflict sensitive. Top down, someone sitting somewhere and deciding what program and how and what community, you know, then you find maybe the very people who should have been a addressed with such programs are not addressed. A, a few programs have been targeting, for example, youth, but then there are still criteria. They tell you, you have to be not the, the unfortunate youth, but not very poor youth. You have to have formed groups. And yet, these are communities that may not have been in groups. So sometimes the people who should benefit from such and get dissuaded from uh, doing wrong things are not involved in. Because uh, as an NGO, we have been working in areas of post-conflict and maybe even current conflict, working with groups that have been involved in uh, violence or armed conflict. And some of those who have got out of this have told us that they will never go back because some of these are, are swayed into getting that with promises, which are usually, if not always, never fulfilled. You are unemployed, someone tells you, come, we are going to be giving you dollars. No, back here, when we talk of dollars, people believe it is a lot of money. But even those dollars are never given. And then people are radicalized, and then they, they are lost. And then, unfortunately, the, 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 politi the, the political arm doesn't know that some of these people uh, are actually helpless. Recently, we have this uh, problem with the Congo border you must be aware of the ADF mm -hmm. and M23. But the ADF, the Allied Democratic Forces, have been attacking the country, the border parts, and even into some districts in the country. The last was where we were told some of these uh, children who were, who were arrested, uh, did they talk of like eight years or something? And, uh, you know, rebels. And... You know, in my in our small group in the office, I said, really calling them rebels is that right? But that's what I don't know the the, <laughs> the, the, the narrative gives them. But these are many times children who are who are forced into this. And now this whole thing again comes in with the the illicit flow of small arms. And I go back to my brother Edmund. We have problems with the borders uh, of South Sudan. Also, sometimes with northwestern Kenya, where the arms are not well controlled. In Uganda, the government has made several efforts to disarm communities that have been most armed, especially the northwestern parts of Karamoja. But in South Sudan, it's not the case. A while back, uh, we had a, an exchange meeting from uh, members of Ethiopia and uh, South Sudan with the National Focal Point on Small Arms, and we're amazed to hear of the, the, the fact that sometimes when arms have been uh, collected, they again disappear. I think there is a weakness. There's a weakness in the way arms are handled. And these are communities that uh, our borders are very porous. There's hardly any control. But a lot of efforts need to be put in empowering the, co the communities, both economically, education-wise, yes. You, you, you have many 
schools, many tertiary institutions, but hardly any employment to keep the, the, the you know the unemployed busy. So yeah. there there is um, a lot to do, and it needs the efforts for everybody. And like um, uh, Edmund rightly put it, sometimes the political um, solutions, so to say, I put solutions in brackets because they are proposal normally, not solutions. So these mm -hmm. political solutions are not always sustainable. Like I gave examples of programs, many programs, especially in this current government. Now we have what we call the parish development model. Even that one has, you know, conditionalities of how people should get organized, how they should benefit, you know. And uh, we don't know whether this is the way, the best way to do it. Um, for my own perspective, when I was growing up many, many decades ago, we had very strong cooperative societies for the different mm -hmm. farmer groups in the different countries. If such could be reinforced, it might, you know, give uh, uh, enhancement to economic uh, status for most of these people. The areas that were grown cotton, you always had those stores, coffee the same. But uh, in the recent past, we've had problems with the coffee. Now all, this, all of it is being privatized. Recently, the coffee purchase and whatever is, it was being given to an external actor, you know, an uproar came. I don't know how fight has gone. So those are some of the challenges that the government may think they're doing the right thing, but because maybe there isn't sufficient consultations with the communities, they are not addressing the issue. And without that, we cannot have, you know, the real peace that we are talking about. Mm -hmm. Peace of the freedom from the fighting and freedom from the hunger and everything else. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And especially when yeah, people who try to talk uh, about some of these things don't feel so comfortable talking about it, you know. Sometimes you get labeled for, you know, try bringing anti, anti whatever, or some political statements. But sometimes we are they are really trying to talk for the people. So, mm -hmm. but all in all, we don't have real large scale violence. But there is that tension that we see among the communities, especially the the poverty level. Much mm -hmm. as the the national. Statistics may read something, but when you look at the difference between the haves and the have-nots, I, I see it bigger. Because when I was growing up, there are facilities I could see in my local community that I don't see them enjoying now. So, yeah, there is quite a lot to do. And I think the economic empowerment is the beginning of everything. Because hmm. uh, just to to get out of this region, when I was uh, following the, the World Cup and reading about Qatar, and I was saying, yeah, there can be answers to things once people are satisfied economically. Yeah, mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah indeed. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. the foundation of, of many things. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and then very important, your, your point about uh, about this community uh, uh, empowerment that, that you were talking about. Um, of course, uh, this is a large-scale effort, and you and you probably rightly saying that uh, government needs to have a role, but also the right kind of role, at least a con conflict-sensitive uh, and needs-driven uh, role. And of course, also different actors can support uh, dynamics that, uh, in a sense, that that governments feel motivated to to act in such a way. I think this is also part of uh, the role of different external uh, and local actors. Um, yeah, so thanks a lot for that. Um, different dynamics like like the climate change uh, element we're going to discuss uh, in, in, in just a minute. 
Um, but uh, let me, meantime, uh, address another question to you, uh, Jan, uh, also from your academic uh, perspective of, of looking at uh, conflict dynamics. Um, what, in your experience uh, and, and your opinion, is needed to uh, avoid armed conflict uh, and especially to build uh, yeah, any, anything resembling uh, lasting peace? Yeah, I mean, the, the, I think the main issue, and uh, I think both both statements have shown this, uh, it's very difficult to approach this technically. Like collecting small arms sounds like a very smart way, but the problem is arms are coming and people are completely unwilling to disarm if neighboring communities stay armed because then the risk of just being overran now. And like it might it might sound a bit conservative, but there's still a component of rule of law or like Mary Calder has called it, um, civicness. Um, and this means like a culture of rule of law that is just, I think, as important and something that needs to be developed and developing, actually, because nobody developed it externally. And it's a generational effort. It's it's like, it's it's it's, a, it's an interesting thing for coming as an outsider, insider to South Sudan. I'm, I'm there quite often. But if you talk with people about things, political developments and all this, they would always tell you, oh, I know this guy, I know this guy, I know this guy. So like mm. the networks are, are all. And these kinds of thinking also then mean like to a certain extent, this, this, this can swap over to like, okay, these are my guys, these are the other guys. And we go for it. Mm. Um, so there is, there is a culture of just like dealing things out that can turn violent. And this is obviously not this won't be settled by laws mm -hmm. just instating laws but it's more like a, a, a culture of civicness so th there is a culture that needs to be at some point bro to, to break mm -hmm. and to change I guess and this is something which takes time which is developing and, and which works better in some areas versus in others I mean one of the one of the things about I guess both countries Uganda South Sudan is how different they are also in terms of the life realities of people Mm -hmm. And uh, it's 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 like from a European standpoint, you would think this this country works quite similar, like these countries mm -hmm. work quite similar, but they are huge, and the lived realities of people are 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 more different probably than any like lifestyle within Europe, and this has to be taken into account how different this is and like mm -hmm. what the cultural aspects um are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is hugely important to to work according to the context, of course, and, and, and culture plays a huge role in this, of course. Very interesting also this point you raised about uh, the need for a culture of of rule of law. And, and as you rightly said, this is a long-term effort, um, but something that, that focus needs to be put on. And I think uh, all of the local representatives of local organizations we have in this conversation i think you're all working in this in this respect uh, uh, in this sense also um let me now turn to my last uh, set of question uh, so the role of climate change in in all these uh, conflict dynamics in uh, uganda in south sudan and and in the region it's of course a dynamic that affects us everywhere uh, the weather is turning strange, unpredictable, uh, and destructive in all parts of the world. And it affects our way of life. And it affects our way of life even more when structures perhaps do not work as well as they as they should. Um, 
So um, let us specifically turn to, to South Sudan and, uh, and, and Uganda in relation to these questions. Um, so how is climate change uh, concretely affecting on, on conflict, conflict dynamics? Um, and immediately attaching uh, a second question to this, um, can such uh, conflict dynamics that are related uh, to environmental or climate change uh, related aspects, um, such as uh, reaching a sort of uh, common or joint uh, management of natural resources, can such uh, uh, efforts also be an entry point for, for building peace at different levels, in your experience? Um, perhaps uh, let us uh, start again with uh, the South Sudanese uh, perspective and, and hear from Edmund. First, as you said, uh, climate change is becoming real in our life. And in South Sudan, we have experienced two main shocks that are climate change related. One shock is a flood, which is now almost affected over 50% of the country in terms of our state. Seven of our states were affected with the flood and have led to displacement and have brought a new trend of violence where people are competing over the limited small highland for either cattle keeping or cattle grazing and then human settlement, but at the same time also farming for food security. So that small land is becoming competitive over several human priorities. Is mm -hmm. either keeping the cattle or settlement or farming. That's come for the flood. And the second shock we have is the locusts. When the locusts were migrating the region, also the locusts have affected some population. And the locust migration have element to do with the climate too. So I think climate have created a phenomenon that is really affecting peace and stability in the society. And I think that's why now it's very important for us to talk about climate security. It's, it's really necessary for us to look into that. So as I said, that climate is real and it's really affecting our, our population. And out of the six violence that I've mentioned that the country is now facing a sub-national level, three of them are climate related, mm. where there's a migration of population to other people's land and their migration, they occupy a land. That land is competitive between either is pastoralists migrating to farmers, like in South Sudan from jungleists who are pastoralists, they migrated to some parts of Eastern Equatorial, Central Equatorial, who are farmers. As we speak now, we have registered a debt of over 17 to 18,000 persons that are dying almost monthly mm -hmm. in related to question of uh, climate-related violence. So I think it's really is claiming life. Climate change is affecting human life and is claiming lives and is increasing violence. Yeah, respond in terms of responding to some of the climate challenges, as I said, intervention that we can do related to climate response or to climate climate challenges mitigation or resolving climate crisis, I think it'd be an entry point. For example, we can use planting of trees in a community where we can bring conflicting communities to plant the trees together. So planting of trees can be a tool, an entry point for peace building in a way that you plant trees uh, bringing together youth or women or leaders from conflicting communities. So in the process of planting trees, they can resolve, they can build trust and confidence and they can start discussing some of their potential violent issues in that particular engagement. Or even the distribution of food to, to climate affected population in that distribution of food, you can bring 
people who are coming from conflicting communities to work together. So some of these interventions of climate change can be an entry point for peace building. And this is where, especially if you start using the notion of peace building through livelihood. So if you start using peace building through livelihood, you can work. Example, I can give an example. I've worked with USID under their project implemented by Wildlife Conservation Society along the river where we use fishing as an instrument of bringing Dinka and Mundari. And these are two conflicting communities. So we bring a section of Mundari and section of Dinkas. They build one particular fishing group and they fish together. And that particular individuals are no longer more uh, engaging in violence because the boat is very important. If they fight, they will lose that boat. They will lose the fishing nets because it's a single thing that improves their life. So we can, we can build peace through livelihood. And I think mm -hmm. climate change interventions can be an entry point for peace building in a communities where they're having a conflict that are climate related or generate or conflict merge as a result of climate change. And as I said, like in South Sudan, the floods is a big issue. That's one of it that I'd like to say that affects. And I think also climate change is raising incidents of uh, negative stereotypes and xenophobia. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Jan, you can see in the context of South Sudan, when the Egyptians want to dredge the rivers. So we start developing xenophobic uh, ideas towards Egyptians and stereotypes towards Egyptians and it go beyond Egypt only because Egyptians are coming for an, an Arab identity. People start thinking about Muslims and the Arabs are trying to come back and mm. destroy our environment. Though they want to clean the, the, the waters. So for me, climate change have a big impact on local conflicts, national conflicts, and even it have impact on global conflict. So you may see flood in South Sudan as the only South Sudanese issue, but now see it have, dra have dragged Egyptians into it, mm. and not Egyptian only. It have even dragged some people in terms of how do you handle these floods issues. So I think for me, climate change, it is an issue now, and should be an agenda that as a peace builders, we must consider it seriously because it is real in our life. It's forcing people to go for a new type of violence that people actually even die, and they can really die for it because they have no option to respond to the climate changes. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Thanks again. I mean, a really hands-on uh, uh, answer from, from your perspective, of course, of working deeply in inside the, 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 the dynamics and problems that, that exist in, in your country. And uh, thanks also for these really concrete examples of, of how these deep and structural uh, problems pro and very problematic dynamics uh, related to uh, climate change and how practical actions can actually be an entry point for for peace building i mean i think that's that's something we also we always have to positively keep keep in mind uh, uh, and attach sort of these solutions immediately to the to the problem um yeah rose in in uganda you already Talk, touched upon it, uh, the, the heavy rains when uh, when it shouldn't rain uh, and so on, uh, that is confusing everything uh, and and the general dynamics of unpredictability and uh, and extreme weather uh, uh, dynamics. How does that that affect on on conflict uh, in in Uganda and 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 what do you see in terms of? Uh, uh, entry points for, for peace building, uh, in addition to what uh, Edmund already said. Yes, um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, the unpredictable weather, as I said earlier on, is already impacting on the, the especially the, not just the farmer communities, because uh, once the farmer communities are affected, even those in urban areas are affected, because people used to know that in a particular month, in a particular 
period I would be planting. It's no longer the case. And as I say, sometimes even the, the weather station says something and it doesn't quite happen. So it's already impacting on food insecurity. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it food security. Food insecurity for many communities. This is also now leading to people encroaching on wetlands. That's further exacerbating the issue of climate change because now that makes the rain patterns change even more. And uh, as a result, we have also seen many floods with some deaths recorded. At the same time, the droughts are also extreme that also have the, the resulting impacts. Much as uh, in uh, some of our activities in peace building, we have started uh, bringing the issue of uh, tree planting. The government itself has also tried to encourage it. Some um, local uh, communities are doing it, but there is yet a lot to be done. We've also had the problem of uh, mismanagement of our forest cover because most of our forests, our forests have been depleted over the years. So it will take time to bring this on board. But as we are rightly quoting here, it would be a good entry point to bring communities together to work uh, towards, say, tree planting as a way of uh, you know, bringing the would-be conflicting communities to do something in common. And probably once you bring various communities together, they'll be keepers of each other and probably the trees would be uh, saved. For us, uh, other than calling it peace building through livelihoods, we, we like to, to term it connectors for peace because for us peace builders, we are not... Uh, directly concerned in dealing with the likelihoods in the past. But I remember when we went to one community where we were, that is the Karamoja semi-arid area with the, lots of small arms and pastoral communities that do a lot of raiding. And we're working with the youth group, the boys especially who are most known for the actual raiding. But of course the whole community is involved as you will come to know the women, uh, bless them. They cook for them as they go out. They have the diviners. So the whole community is engaged because that was their livelihood. When we try to change some of them, at the end of the training, they ask us, yes, we all like peace, but are we going to eat peace? And because mm -hmm. people can't eat peace, we have to work on the environment and ensure that the, 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 the trees are back, the forests are back, the water is there. Most communities where I used to, to see a lot of water flowing, now you go and find there is a shortage of wells and water mm -hmm. water levels are low. So there is a lot to be done. But I know the government has um, made it a point to encourage tree planting, but still a lot more needs to be done. We've seen the, the rains I'm talking about. Last week we had lots of rain. Bridges get uh, damaged. People get drowned in these floods. And there's that means also a cost to the government. So money that would have otherwise been used for something else now goes back to reconstructing roads. Mm -hmm. So it's a cycle. It's a cycle. And really have to grab it with both hands and all do something about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so really tackle the, prevent the preventive measures that you, that you mentioned in terms of planting trees and, and other mitigation me measures as quickly as possible because... This vicious cycle of uh, destruction and uh, rebuilding, of course, is, is one that should really be stopped. Um, Jan, uh, you have the last word. Um, 
how how does this look like from your perspective uh sort of using a structural uh issue such as climate change that affects uh dynamics across the board um using such a dynamic as a as an entry point for for peace building how how, how does that look like from your perspective i mean what what has to be said and uh it has been mentioned before what climate change does in terms of conflict landscapes it regionalizes there's no way not to especially when there's like long rivers such as the nile and you have like rain all over then you have like hydropolitics that start from like the lake victoria and uganda they open the dam here south sudan gets flooded not because just of the rain in south sudan actually because of the rain in uganda mm-hmm. um and then it all goes downstream with mm-hmm. egypt being permanently like like concerned that they won't get enough water out of the Nile. So they are in turn then in, in conflict with Ethiopia. And Ethiopia, by the way, just sold some of the hydro, out, like the, the, the electricity outputs of their dam to South Sudan in turn. So mm-hmm. like there's, there's the, 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 the interrelations exactly. are, just, are just amazing what, what happens here. So I think um, in, a, in a weird kind of way, it opens up, opportunities so it makes things much more complicated in a way because you cannot have these neat solutions targeted for like unity state in South Sudan because it's flooded there but the floods come from elsewhere you know? so in a way it becomes more complicated but it gives also the chance to 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 regionalize the issues in a way and tackle them in a in a more holistic way I guess mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is of course a dynamic that has been that has been on the news, and therefore, hopefully, would receive the right uh, amount of attention. This whole uh, notion of uh, that countries are of course connected through the through the rivers, and of course, climate change has a huge effect on uh, on how rivers flow uh, and 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 where the water might reach or not reach. So hugely important. Anyways. Thank you very much. Uh, again, a hugely interesting conversation. Uh, huge pleasure uh, hearing from you. We will, of course, uh, come to an end uh, through this discussion uh, uh, on our conversations about uh, South Sudan and Uganda. But thank you very much. And we'll be in touch for sure on many, many other issues. Take care and good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Subscribe to our podcast or visit the website insideconflict.com. For more information about the work of the ASPR, visit aspr.ac.at. Until next time.